0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yes, indeed. I am joined
1: this morning by Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Julie, good to hear from you again.
2: Hey, Danny, how are you?
1: I am doing quite well. It's kind of a fresh morning. I think that's yeah, a big okay.
2: risk. I'd say. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I was trying to be diplomatic. And uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, we welcome your lawn and garden questions, but especially, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to leave it up to you because uh, we have a special, uh, a special uh, bit of help this morning, right?
2: We sure do. We have Maggie Ryder. Maggie is our new extension educator in turf. She is no. Uh, she has been around Minnesota for a long time and uh, graduated from the University of Minnesota in turf science. And uh, she spent a few years out in California, and she's back working for us now. So we are so happy to have her on the horticulture team.
1: Absolutely. Welcome, Maggie. Well, uh, well, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for taking the time to do oh, this this bet. morning. Yeah, thanks uh, for
3: having me. So, uh, Very brisk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good word for it compared to California. Uh, I'm still getting used to it all.
1: You'll, your blood will thicken up here in just a yeah. couple of weeks or so. <laughs> yeah. I want to alert our listeners that if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, especially a turf question this morning, since Maggie's joining us along with Julie Weisenhorn, uh, call in your question or send a text. It's the same number, 651-989-9226. And if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we tend to get really busy. So if you have a question, again, especially about uh, turf, your lawn, uh, call it in or text it in. Um, Oh, I in fact one just came in here in reference to lawns. Let's just get this underway here. My last lawn fertilizer, they say the application was August 15th. Will I be okay for the winter or should I put on another application soon that comes from uh, Jeff and Maple Grove? What do you guys think?
3: Sure. Um it depends on I guess the the number of fertilizer applications that your lawn needs over the year. Um the you know, if it needs a second application there is still time to do that usually the cutoff is about october 15th we don't want to be applying lawn fertilizer after october 15th because the grass just isn't growing in a way that would take it up um so there's risk of like environmental loss of the of the nutrients um but you know some lawns can get by with one fertilizer application per year some can get by with two fertilizer applications like one in the spring and one in the fall um but higher input or higher maintenance lawns can use up to three fertilizer applications per mm. year so if we need if you need another one there is still time um, but just please you know do it in the next couple of weeks um, to get the most out of it
1: I, I know that uh, in, in my yard here I've been trying to you know where some bad spots have been uh, over the last few weeks uh, doing some seeding but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop doing that now because I don't want and you tell me if I'm correct. Uh, I don't want to start the seeds sprouting and suddenly it's November and they die, right? Yeah, and th- yeah. Unless I start doing dormant seeding, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Wow, you can do the. You should do the long question. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so the, the, latest, the latest for seeding would be up to like mm, the second or third week in September, ideally. I mean, we can start seeding, you know, it, I wouldn't even call it fall, you know, it's almost late summer because we have such a short, she- short season here in Minnesota. Um, so the best time to seed is like October, or sorry, uh, August 15th to September 15th. Um, and then at, you know, at this time of the year, I would withhold don't seed and just shoot for the, the next sort of window is that November time of dormant seeding. And uh, <clears throat> you know some more information about dormant seeding here. The idea is you're putting seed down that's going to be dormant and not grow. It's going to stay cold under the snow, and then it's going to be ready to, to grow right away when the snow melts and it's going to capitalize on that moisture in the springtime and it gives yeah. you a little advantage ahead of weeds. So
0: Absolutely. the best time
3: to do this is, again, um, usually, um, you know, second or third week of November.
1: Okay, good to do. I'll uh, I'll, I'll save it until then. Uh, 651-989-9226. Uh, Julie, let's see. Boy, they're, they're coming in like crazy here. Uh, <laughs> here's one for you, Julie. Why are my dahlias so small this year?
2: Uh, could it, be, it could be that the tutors that, that you're growing your dahlias from are aging and that they are not uh, very robust to start with. Um, it's also been a very odd summer for our gardens. We had that incredibly hot weather uh, in early, I think it was in June, and into July somewhat, so it really stressed some of our plants. Another reason that bulbs might be small or, or bulb-like structures is that they get in the ground too late that could be something as well. So you might want to examine when you dig up your dahlia uh, bulbs this year is to take a look at them, make sure that they're healthy, they don't have any damage or insect issues, they're not soft or squishy anywhere, trim off those parts, uh, discard those that just are not very robust, and then look to adding some new ones to your garden next year. And we do have some information on dahlias on our extension website so you can take a look at that about when to plant those people will start them uh in containers uh, a little bit early and then transplant them as well
1: and that website is
2: extension.umn.edu and you can go to the yard and garden page
1: excellent let's grab a phone call here tom is calling in from i believe Minotaka this morning tom you're on cco good morning
4: uh, first of all, my comment on Dahlia's, mine did incredible this year, but I started mine inside on May 1st. Um, okay. As a matter of fact, the biggest thing, I'm, this isn't my question, but I was wondering, my tubers now are so huge. Can I just get those as a huge tuber next year, or do I have to split them up?
2: You know, I think that you can actually divide them, um, and that might be a way to propagate them as well. So... Yeah, I think you could take a. You want to use a clean, sharp knife. I yeah, would sterilize would. it with some alcohol, and uh, just uh, and then go ahead and just make a nice, clean cut next spring before you plant them. I think also, I take that back. I think you're supposed to let them actually cure a little bit, kind of form a little callus over the part that you cut before you put them in the ground.
4: Okay, my my big questions are, um, I am helping out a friend who's moving and giving them a bunch of. Uh, plants from my garden, but they're not moving until really late October. Is it going to be a problem to plant? They're pretty hardy things like peonies and hostas because it gonna be okay to plant them that late in the season.
2: That's uh, The hostas, I would say not a problem and possibly the peonies too. It's getting pretty late because the plants can't establish a root system. They can't kind of like nestle in for the rest of the year. Um, it's really going to depend on our weather. If we have a really long stretch of warm fall, then you might get away with it. Um, but, again, hostas, I don't see a problem with that as long as the soil is, you know, workable. But the peonies, um, you could you could try that or you could just wait. Um, usually we would divide those in the
4: fall. So, yeah. Spring's, you maybe... spring, spring's not a good time to transplant these at all, is it?
2: No, not really. It's really later in the season, so you could take a take a chance with that, and then just maybe maybe uh, save some for next year too. And in, in the in the late summer, in August or so, then go ahead and give them to your friends.
1: All right, we need to take a quick break. We have more show to come. If you have uh, any lawn or garden questions, especially uh, one for Maggie, who's our turf expert uh, from the University of Minnesota, call it in or text it in six five one. 989 We'll be back with more Smart Garden on News A 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden show. Denny Long here along with uh, Julie and Maggie from the U- University of Minnesota. We're talking about lawns and gardens, but if you have a specifically a lawn, a turf question, uh, Maggie's the expert there that Julie brought with her today. So take advantage. Of that. 651-989-9226. I want to get back to the phones, but uh, a, a texter came in earlier that said, please tell us the difference between quack grass and crab grass. Maggie?
3: Yeah, crabgrass and quack grass are both um, weedy grasses. Um, <clears throat> and they're annuals, which means they die every year. And, and that's troublesome because, you know, we really don't have ground cover, um, which, you know, leads to problems like erosion control and... Uh, again, loss of nutrients. Um, the differences between them, crabgrass tends to be a, a little bit lower growing, right? It, it tends to stay, stay flat and persist more under our three year, three inch height of cut for lawns. Um, and then, cra- qu- excuse me, quackgrass, uh, is a bit taller. Um, and it doesn't persist as well under the low mowing heights. Um, that's the main difference. Uh, and then quackgrass spreads by rhizomes or underground stems. So you'll see from, a, you know, maybe an individual quackgrass it you'll start to see shoots coming out uh, adjacent to it. And that's how that's how it propagates itself. Um, whereas crabgrass um, <clears throat> just sort of has a flatter, uh, I guess, form. And it has it kind of has stolens, or it just, you know, lays the stems lay across the top of the soil surface um, and it can kind of grow sideways and spread that way. Mm. Um, the seed heads are quite different too. Uh, crabgrass seed heads look kind of like a like uh, spikes coming out of a central spike, sort of like a hand, right? Where these three or four uh, spikelets coming from a central point. Um, and quackgrass has a, a different seed head uh, that is more of a um, classic, I guess, uh, or grass seed that has a, you know, just a tighter influence, inflorescence, I would call it.
1: All right. So, the, Maggie, you, I have
2: a question about that, mm-hmm. because
0: yeah.
2: I've always understood that quack grass, after you mow your lawn, quack grass, like, grows faster than your lawn grasses. So when you're trying to treat it or determine if you have it, you can look across your lawn and see these kind of bunches of quack grass poking up above your lawn so that
3: helps you identify it so you can actually treat it and i've heard it's super hard to get rid of oh yeah yeah it is very difficult because there's you know because it's a grassy weed um there's not a lot of like collective herbicides yeah is it a it's a perennial here yeah it is a perennial
2: right yeah that's what i thought that makes it really hard to get rid of yeah
3: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) Yeah, we have follow-up questions uh, from different listeners we'll get to. But you know what? We do have listeners on the phone. So let's uh, see if we can help a couple of folks. Connie, first up, you're calling from Minneapolis. Good morning, Connie. What is your question?
2: Good morning. Say, I have had trouble growing grass in my shady backyard for the last four or five years, I think. And I sent pictures to somebody from the Extension uh, online. He thinks I have rhizoctonia. And I've treated a couple times with the two different antifungals at his advice, um, I planted again in September, actually three times back there, and it's, it still won't grow grass. Do you have any, any uh, suggestions or thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so Rhizoctonia, you know, we had a terrible summer for, for turf grass diseases that could, be, that could have been an issue. Um, but by September, our temperatures are cooled off, and, and we don't get a lot of disease issues through the, through the fall. I would recommend trying to plant a grass that's adapted to shade. So grasses that are adapted to shade are the fine fescue grasses, and that's sort of a catch-all term for a group uh, of, of species, and they are strong-creeping red fescue, slender-creeping red fescue, uh, chewing fescue, hard fescue, or sheep fescue. Any of those five grasses are adapted to shade. Um, and, they, you know, that's your best chance at getting some vegetation in uh, shaded areas of lawns.
1: All right. Thanks, Connie. Uh, Kevin, I believe, is calling in from Wasika this morning. Kevin, you are on with Julie and Maggie.
5: Well, very good morning to you. Uh morning. I have a question is a little bit off course to the subject for, of the day. I have four ginger plants, uh, one in each corner of the house, uh, probably um, oh, three years old or so, Uh And none of them bloomed this year. A lot of foliage, but no blossoms. Uh, Can you, any suggestions what happened?
2: What kind of, do you know what kind of hydrangeas? I do not. Okay. Do they have uh, big round head of flowers
5: that are white,
2: or do they have more triangular shaped?
5: big round ones, the two previous years, had uh, uh, late in the year round uh, blossoms.
2: Okay. And have you done any pruning on them? Like, have you been cutting them down? Have you been cutting them back?
5: I cut uh, in the spring uh, what appeared to be dead uh, branches or shoots or whatever. So it was pretty much a little bit above ground level starting out okay. in the spring.
2: Okay. And last but not least, are they new plants or old plants?
5: Again, I believe we planted them uh, three years ago, maybe four years ago. Okay,
2: and they bloomed well up until this year.
5: Yes, two previous years, and the thing of it is, they didn't seem to blossom until low into August, uh, late in the year, you know. But this year, okay. there was nothing on any of them.
2: So, I think one one piece of advice might be, you know, you've uh, is is to not cut them back; is to let those branches just bee for the winter. And you might do a little bit of selective pruning. If you've got some really, like one really long branch that's leaning over into your lawn area, you might trim that one back. Don't cut them back so far. And I would not cut them back this year. There's a there's two different thought processes here. One is that some people say cut those, I'm going to say they're an Annabelle hydrangea. Let's just use that term because everybody knows what those are. That when you cut them completely down, then it rejuvenates it. But I think it, it, another uh, school of thought is to not cut them down because it makes stronger branches. And and so I think that I would not cut them back this year and see how they do next year. You might also make sure that they're mulched. You said they're on the corner of your houses uh, of your house, so if they might be in a garden bed, but if they're not, just mulch the root area. And be sure to maybe give them um, a tree or shrub fertilizer uh, treatment in the spring so that they kind of start out with some good nutrition, the roots are protected and cool, and then they're starting with as much branching as possible. See if that helps.
1: All right, very good. Before we uh, take a break and look at that forecast, uh, here's a text that says, should I start pruning and putting hay down on my hibiscus? What do you think?
2: So this is a perennial hibiscus, and I would say that um, I would make sure that it's completely died back. In other words, all the leaves are off of it. And I would, uh, you could do the haying. I would, I wouldn't do it this week because we're getting like 70 degree weather. Yeah. So when the when the weather is steadily cold, so I would say maybe in the 40s or even 30s, then I would say you could start to cover your plants. But right now it's too warm, and so uh, you're not going to do it any good by covering it at this point.
1: Very good. Well, we'll uh, take in moments here a look at that warmer forecast coming up, and then we have about another half hour of the show to go on our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830, WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on WCCO. Around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, Julie and Maggie from the U of M, if you have specifically a lawn question, this is your day. You can ask Maggie, who is the turf expert from the U of M, uh, uh, your question. And, of course, Julie is uh, is helping us out, as she does so often here, and we're grateful for that. Uh, 651-989-9226 is the phone number. It's also the uh, text number. We have a bunch of both. I'll tell you what, let's help out the callers uh, initially first here. I think John has been waiting there at Dayton to ask a question. Thank you, John. What is your question?
4: Say, I'm looking for an apple tree called an NW Greening. And I've called ten different nurseries, and I can't find, seem to find one. Can you help me?
2: I I have not heard of that apple tree. That is a new one for me. Um, I I depending on where you heard about it, uh, it could be a variety that is not hardy in Minnesota, or it's something that we just don't carry in Minnesota. We have a lot of great apple tree options that are uh, university-bred, as well as some from uh, Wisconsin and and nearby locations. But I don't know about that one. One resource that you could use to look it up is uh, it's called the Plant Information Online. And it is available through the Arboretum website. It's plantinfo.umn.edu. That's the link to that, or the address for it on the web. And this is a database that's managed by the Anderson Horticultural Library at the Arboretum. They spend a huge amount of time going through catalogs and uh, other sellers, uh, wholesalers and retailers of plant materials, and you can type in that name of that apple tree and see if you can find somebody who carries it. It may also be that that plant is available wholesale, but not retail. Some plants are just for orchard growers. So you could use plant information online at plantinfo.umn.edu and uh, and take a look and see if you can find the plant that way. But that's a new one for me. Never hmm. heard of that one before.
1: All right. Uh, here's one uh, from Maggie, too. Uh, the texter says, I live in southwestern Minnesota. What and when do I treat my lawn for crabgrass. What's the procedure there? What time of year, first of all?
3: Yeah, crabgrass would be treated in the springtime, um, before it germinates. There are pre-emergent herbicide options uh, for that, and then if you you know don't control, there's some post-emergent um, herbicide options as well. And you know if you if you're not comfortable with herbicides, honestly, your your other alternative is to um, mechanical removal by hand. Um, but this all needs to take place in the springtime. It's better to get the plants, you know, before they germinate or, or when they're very small. This time of year, um, it, there's no need to be controlling crabgrass because it's all, it's going to die anyway. So I'm starting to see it turn sort of, you know, purplish, golden uh, in some areas in the metro <clears throat> because we had a frost a couple weeks ago um, that, you know, is hoping to to kill it off for the season.
1: All right, very good. Let's go back to the phones. Karen, I believe, is calling from Eden Prairie this morning. Uh, Karen, thanks for waiting. You, you're on CCO. I'm sorry. Oh, Sharon. Hello. Okay, oh. <laughs> loses a little in <laughs> translation. Uh, okay. Thanks, Sharon. That's
4: okay.
2: Good morning. Um, I'm going to be mulching my leaves, which is a combination of ash, um, river birch, and um, silver ma- the silver maple. Anyhow, I wanted to know, I would like to put that on, use it on my plants, you know, for mulch, and how, what depth is the right, without killing them or hurting them? Okay. So, good for you for using your leaves as mulch. That's a, a great way to make use of a lot of organic matter that's on your property it creates uh, a great habitat for our overwintering insects like queen uh, bumblebees. And, uh, and so it really creates a nice habitat for that. It's protective. It's warm. It also breaks down eventually and really improves your soil around your plants, And it holds in moisture like mulch does and also uh, will keep root, uh, plant roots protected. So it's a really great way to use those leaves. Um, As far as depth goes, uh, you really can't. It it depends if you're going to if you're going to leave those leaves on in the through the spring, which I would recommend on your soil as a mulch. Uh, But you know they're going to collapse down a great deal, so you can't. uh, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a specific depth. Ultimately, in the end, you would want the leaves to maybe be about two inches thick. And uh, so that's after they break down, probably end of next year at this time, you would be able to determine if that's the right depth. And in the spring, as plants are coming up, you you know, sometimes if they're buried, they'll be kind of a white, pale green color because they're not getting any light. It's just to go around and push the leaves off of those plants. And so as your hostas are coming up or other plants in your garden, just push them aside Push those leaves down into the areas underneath the plants, around the plants, so that you're actually, you know, you're you're using it as a mulch, but then you're allowing the plants to, um, you know, to get some sunlight. So that's a great thing. That's exactly what I do in my yard. So, and it works really, really well. I've done it for years.
1: All right. Let's go to, uh, back to the phone. Ron is calling from uh, Minneapolis this morning, then we'll grab some text messages. Ron, thank you. You're on CCO.
4: Good morning. Um. I was wondering, what is the latest in this season that we can aerate? Or is it too late?
3: Yeah, this is a good question. We're, it's almost too late. If you could, again, this is sort of an October 15th cutoff, you could aerate in the next couple weeks um, because the turf, it'll grow a little bit and be able to sort of recover from that. It's too late for uh, cultural practices like dethatching. Like dethatching tends to be pretty aggressive. Um, and we we usually try to keep that wrapped up in in September or so because the grass is just it's not going to have a chance to recover from that um, cultivation uh, through October. But it's, there's still time to aerify in the next couple of weeks.
1: All right. You, yeah. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate the call. We're getting a lot of text messages as far as lawn goes. is is, how short do I mow it? So let's let's talk about the growing season. What what what's a good length? Uh, and then, uh, should you cut it really short or shorter as we head into winter? what do you think, Maggie?
3: Yeah, this is a great question. I'm, thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> um, I am constantly advocating for people to raise their mowing heights um, up to we shoot for try try to shoot for like three or three and a half inches um, because longer height of cut is gonna be provide a better healthier lawn that's gonna prevent weeds, have deeper roots, um all the good stuff that comes with that. However, there is one time of year as we go into winter, sort of, so we're winterizing our lawns and our landscapes, where we can where it'd be a good idea to lower the height of cut gradually. Um, and I mean, so if you're if you're mowing at three inches, gradually lower your height of cut down to two or two and a half inches. You know, over the next few weeks to your last mowing, which might be the end of October, early November. And the idea here is we want to reduce some of the leaf material that's there. Um, because less leaf material is going to mean less uh, uh, vegetation there for for snow mold disease over the winter times. So if we can lower the height of cut, lawns that are cut a little bit shorter in the last few mowings uh, are going to have less snow mold disease in the springtime when the snow melts. Um, it also does help reduce habitat for voles running around under the snow too. Um, but again, I, sometimes I'm cautious about telling people to lower the heights of cut because again, I. In the springtime, remember to please raise the height of cut again.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I I totally agree. It's really made a difference in in my lawn over the years, thanks to the information we got from people like Julie and Mary. Uh, and I'm I'm looking at these other. Uh, oh, here's one. As as Julie would tell you, Maggie, that. Maybe we should have a contest, and who, who asked the first Creeping Charlie question? But <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's what it says. I have two neighbor's yards uh, that have uh, Creeping Charlie. I've been spraying my side of the fence. Is there anything I can do to keep uh, the, them from getting into my yard? What's the, what's the process for Creeping Charlie here?
3: Yeah, this is one of our worst weeds in, in most, you know, <laughs> FAQ, how to, how to fix weeds in, in lawns in Minnesota um well it sounds like the the lawn manager is is controlling it on their side with herbicides um which is you know that's that's effective uh as far as preventing it from continuing to encroach onto your property the only thing that's going to stop that is like a physical barrier i mean like you know some type of stones or you know put in some type of mulch garden area just to separate the lawns uh to prevent that creeping charlie from having the continuous, you know, sort of ground cover that will allow it to keep growing. And I also say, too, general, in general on Creeping Charlie Control, we have a very, very good um, blog post. I think that's co-authored by Julie here um, on our extension website. Um, so if you go there, you know, search for Creeping Charlie, there's a really um, comprehensive um, web page that includes all possible control options um, and, and just some good commentary on Creeping Charlie in the landscape.
1: That's a great resource anyway. Yeah, yeah extension.umn.edu. Check it out. We'll mention that, of course, like we always do before we uh, take our leave this morning. Julie and Maggie, hang on. We'll take another quick break here. We'll grab some more uh, text messages here on News Talk A30 WCCO. And welcome back to the remaining minutes of our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Julie Weisenhorn, Maggie Ryder, turf expert. We're talking, got a lot of questions, which is not a surprise, I guess, uh, when uh, Julie told us that Maggie would be joining us this morning. Lot of lawn questions. Um, There's actually two of them that are referring to moss in not only their their home here in the metro, but in their uh, lake home area up north. Uh, Maggie, what do you think about moss? How do you take care of that if you don't like it?
3: Moss, this one is tricky. Moss and algae both are, um, they're indicator weeds, right? Of, of a lot of moisture and shade. So there's a reason that the moss is there. It's because that area or that microclimate has too much moisture, too much shade, um, for grass to maintain, uh, you know, continuous cover, um, So the first thing I would say to try to correct some of these underlying problems, you know, make sure if you have an irrigation system that you're not overwatering, if you have heavy shade, you know, could you potentially prune trees or shrubbery that's providing the shade or increase airflow? Um, But as far as, you know, that's really, you know, the only solutions that I can think of, maybe Julie has something to add, but try to correct the, you know, the reason that the moss is there.
2: I think one of the things, too, is to think about if it's even a good location for grass to grow. And yeah. uh, we had a earlier question about shade, trying to grow grass in shade. And while the fine fescues are terrific uh, grasses for that, if you need to have grass in that area, say you have children or you need a play area or there's some reason that you want to have grass there. But also consider that maybe it's a good place for a shade garden and you could Uh, remove all of the moss and the grass and then uh, mulch that area and interplant it there with shade perennials. So uh, that can reduce some of your maintenance on your lawn, but it can also uh, reduce the kind of headaches that you have with some of these areas that are really tough to grow grass.
3: That's great. Thanks, Julie.
1: Uh, Here's a tree question. Pruning. Can I prune my oak, maple, and elm trees now? I have many to trim and I don't want to try and get it all done in the snow.
2: Yeah, so you can uh, you want to prune a little bit um, if you need to. It's really best to wait to prune uh, anything right now until uh, until the plants are dormant. So plants will gradually move into dormancy. They'll drop their leaves. That's why we get this great fall color, and they will basically slow down their growing. And when they get into dormancy in the winter. There's no active uh, growing going on. There's no insect issues. There's no fungal diseases that are happening and, and flourishing. So it's a great time. I know that it's hard to get out to the trees to do that, but if you can wait until they go dormant, until they're completely dormant, that would be the best. Uh, that allows the plant in the spring to recover quickly, and because it's actively going to be growing as soon as the temperatures warm up and the sun, you know, is longer in the sky. So I would say hold off if you can, uh, particularly for the oak trees. Right now, we're in a low-risk time for oak wilt, which is a devastating disease of oaks. And so, I would hold off. The best time to prune your oak trees is when they are completely dormant. So I would wait if you can. I know that it's kind of a hassle, but maybe make it a make it a party. A
1: <laughs> there you go.
2: Have a bonfire.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> prune your trees. Be, be careful. Um, make some s'mores. Okay, yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, there's a hosta question. I know we talked about it a bit uh, this morning, uh, but the texture says, I was told I could transplant uh, hostas until the ground freezes. Is that true?
2: Well, hosta is one of those plants that it is tough. I've had hostas that have sat out in a bucket in my garage all winter with no soil, and I planted them the next spring and they grew just fine. So if they're very robust, yes, I guess you could transplant them. I can make no guarantees, um, but they are pretty tough landscape plants. It's one of the reasons that people love them so much. They're really a hands-off kind of plant and they produce these incredible foliage and beautiful flowers. So yes, you could still uh, transplant them at this point, I would say.
1: Okay. Um, boy, here, I can relate to this one depending on the year. This texture says, most of our yard is covered under a canopy of oak trees, and this year is very heavy with acorns. It's difficult to rake them all. How hard should I work to remove them, or will they just break down?
3: Um, um, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. You go ahead, Maggie. <laughs> I would say, I think they would just break down. What, you know?
1: Sometimes they're so thick, though. I mean, you...
2: yeah, this is a problem my mom has up in uh, Moose Lake where my parents live, and they have constant acorns dropping all over the place. And some years, as we know from masting, which is when the when the plants produce a huge amount of seed, um, they can really be a headache. And um, I, you know, what I would do with some of those is I would take a, I would get out my shop back. And I would use it in some real in the difficult areas that are hard to rake out, like cracks and spaces, you know, around your walls and things like that. And I would suck up as many of those as I could. Um, and the other option is then you have to just rake the bigger areas. So um, and just the, the some you'll get some of them, you'll get most of them, not all of them, but it's just a you know, oaks are really valuable trees and. Don't not plant oaks because of the acorns because they're very valuable. But yeah, they do require a little extra work in that respect. I'd suck <laughs> them up with a shop back. Here's the
1: other here's the other side of that creeping Charlie coin. Uh will my creeping Charlie overwinter well. I use it for an organic tea. I've heard that before.
3: Hmm. Yeah, it it's, will overwinter just fine. It's yeah. a weed, not <laughs> a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, here's a yep. text that says, is it too late to move a clematis from a pot into the ground? If so, can I overwinter it inside and how?
2: Oh, this ha- this question comes up every fall because of uh, people grow perennials more and more in containers and, uh, and for various reasons. Uh, you could try planting it now. I would say plant it right now and give it some good water, mulch the roots. And, and you might want to even pile some leaves around it just to protect it because it's, it, hasn't, it won't have the ability probably to reestablish its roots. Again, I can't predict the weather. We have a nice stretch coming up now, so it's a good time to do these kinds of things. If you have a garage that is around 45 degrees or so, 40 to 45 degrees, maybe you have a space heater in there that you just fire up when you're working in your garage. That's what we do at our house. Um, you can overwinter it as a dormant plant. And this would mean just putting it into that garage in a space where it's out of the way, watering it maybe once a month just to keep it from completely dehydrating. And then as soon as you can work the soil in the spring is to plant it. So you can try that. The last thing you could do is you could bury it, the whole pot in the ground out in your garden and cover it with leaves. And then in the spring, dig it up and then either put it back in a pot or put it in a different pot, or you can plant it in your garden at that point. So there's a, it's a little trial and error.
1: Okay. Uh, this texter lives in Plymouth, and says, I have a walk-behind mower. I've noticed this year as I mow the lawn, it seems it's very bumpy. What can I do about that?
3: Yeah, we get this question occasionally. Um, so, you know, if, if the bumpiness is, I guess, just natural from this, st- you know, the soil moving or, um, freeze and thaw cycles. Uh, sometimes it's from earthworm castings. Um, and in that case, again, I don't have a great answer, but you know, the earthworm castings and the bumpiness is it, really a nuisance thing. It's not affecting the turf grass health. Um, some things you could do are try to top dress, you know, with compost, um, or sand, uh, if you could get a heavy roller in there, you know, that's what they would do at a, on a golf course or a sports field, something to, to roll over these areas and try to smooth it out that if you do that once or twice, that wouldn't be too harmful, um, to the, to the grass. But uh, yeah, so that's, you, it's, that's challenging. Yeah.
1: We have a couple minutes to go. Uh, here's another one. It says, uh, on Wednesday we had our yard aerated and grass seed put down. How long do we have to wait before we can walk on it and go across the lawn again with the mower?
3: Um, it depends on what grass seed was put down and like what species of grass. They have different times uh, that it would take to germinate um, and, you know, have seedlings big enough, to, strong enough to walk on. Um, usually I would say two weeks. Uh, that's a kind of an average of all the, the different potential grasses that could be out there. But two weeks should be okay.
1: Okay. How about, Texter says, some peony roots I was just given. What's the best plan for those?
2: I would get those in the ground right away, uh, as we talked about with the earlier caller who was going to give peonies and hosta to his uh, friends who were moving. You want to you'd want to plant those immediately. Uh, you could overwinter them in a uh, some damp peat moss in a plastic bag. Uh, you could try doing that so that they don't dehydrate. Uh, keep them in a cool location, about forty degrees. The refrigerator uh, works for that, uh, separate from food them out of the area. But you could, I would say, get them in the ground right now and uh, and be sure to plant them at the proper depth. Peonies are very fussy. They do, not, they do not want to be planted any deeper than about an inch and a half.
1: All right. We have about a minute to go. Uh, Julie, as Julie will tell you, Maggie, we have the smartest listeners. Remember that apple tree that we questioned earlier, yeah. uh, question about this? This gentleman says... Um, Uh, things that julie's obviously too young to remember this but it's (laughs) the the northwest the apple is referring to an old apple called northwest greening northwest something to look up well thank you for that okay all right um we are just about out of time and maggie it's great uh, great to have you on the show we we hope we can do that a a lot more often uh here on our smart garden show great we're
2: glad to have her on board
1: Absolutely. The turf expert. You will hear her again here on CCO. And uh, Julie, why don't you give us the uh, website for the U of M, just a great resource.
2: Sure. It's extension.umn.edu. And you can go to Yard and Garden. We also have a great search engine. So you can type in a question or a topic or a word, and it will come up with all sorts of information, not only from our web pages, but also from our Yard and Garden News, which is our uh comes out twice a month. It's actually constantly changing and updating with current information for your
1: yard oh, and yeah. garden. It is a labor of love. Julie, Maggie, thank you so much. Let's talk soon
0: again.
2: Thanks, Denny. Okay. Thank,
0: thank you. you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.